Hey, 415. This episode covers more applications for social media to build on the more kind of consumer and brand-centered applications that we talked about last episode. That was the entertainment sphere. We talked about crisis communication, um, as well as journalism. Now, again, this line between sort of a brand-centered and community-centered is pretty loose and is really only used as a way to break up our content, so don't get too caught up on that distinction. Um, and today we actually are going to cover the key ways that social care, nonprofits, healthcare, and international campaigns integrate social media into their industries and practice and really explain some of those best practices in guidelines. Now, really keep in mind um, that things like social care and international campaigns definitely are used kind of within and under subcategories for entertainment and brand management um, and even, you know, crisis communication. Um, and so a lot of the best practices today are going to kind of overlap with some of the best practices you also need to think about in your overall industry. So as you are listening, um, take notes and really think about your campaign strategy project. That first stage of the brief is you know, coming up in just a few weeks. This chapter really connects to that project by offering you more ideas and inspirations for what you might want to create in a social media campaign. Also, again, those global perspectives in the social care application is going to be important in almost any project type that you're choosing. So if you end up you know, creating your campaign for you know, the plant sale, business or, you know, a music or movie premiere, um, you still want to think about things like social care. Um, and if you end up doing it for like travel, obviously a global perspective international campaigns, you know, might come into play there. Um, so just kind of think about how it could in be incorporated and what you need to keep in mind for your work. All right, so first let's cover social care, which overlaps um, with a lot of like practices and goals with nonprofits, um, but also definitely overlaps with um, most applications for social media. So this is definitely an important one to think about for your strategy. Now, as we discussed, you know, all social media at, a, at its core is about creating and maintaining relationships with the community. Now, because a great experience with a brand not only, you know, impacts the individual in that moment, you know, talking with, tweeting to, interacting with the brand specifically, but it also can provide an opportunity for our, you know, consumers, our clients, our target audience to share this experience with others. Right? We talked a lot about user-generated content and some earned media, and this is a place, um, if you have a good social care strategy, um, that you could get some of that user-generated content with hopefully positive um you know, associations with your brand. So taking the time to respond obviously can make a world of difference to people. And it's honestly now an expectation for brands to not only respond to customers, but also to do so in a timely manner, which is again, why we need to think through what the social care is going to look like on social media. You know, customers and other members of the online community want to make their lives easier by engaging with a brand online, 
getting their questions questions answered or having a situation addressed right, in that professional and seamless manner. Um, even literally just yesterday, um, the Women to Women nonprofit uh, that I, I do the social media for, somebody messaged us on Facebook, you know, asking a question like, how do they get involved? Um, and it was one of those moments where they even said, oh, I tried looking at the website. It wasn't very clear. Um, you know, can you help me get started? And so right away, like I get the um, notification right to my phone. Um, this is why social media sometimes feels in many ways like a 24-7 job, though you always need to create boundaries. But, you know, it got right to my phone and could, you know, respond and pri- provide that information really, you know, quickly. And they're like, oh, wow, thank you so much. And went on their way. So do, you know, think about no matter what kind of size a company you work for um, or who your client is, think about and invest in the right policies, you know, the training and the tools that are going to make your customer service experience responsive and positive. Um, And so if you are really able to do that um, and you, you know, kind of set it up set it up well, um, you can really help your brand in a couple ways, like obviously making it easy for customers to, you know, understand your business, get those services, and maybe spend, you know, more money or donate or buy in all is tied back to a good customer service experience. Also, understanding it's not only the products people are concerned about, you know, but the experience at its core and social media as we're maintaining these relationships and building the connections is really where people will understand the experience of your client, of your brand, of the company, of the nonprofit, of the organization, um, and start to understand their values a little bit better, too. You know, and and the opposite is true for a negative experience, right? It's not only going to create unhappiness for that individual. You lose a customer, you lose a donor, but it could also spark some outrage. It could give you a crisis, um, you know, impact and ultimately hurt your reputation online. So keep thinking about social care and how we respond to people and having an actual plan in place for the social care. Like, what are you going to do when somebody tags you, DMs you, um, you know, asks you you something over social media in place um, can go a long way in helping your client and your brand. Um, now, there are kind of four big steps that we want to think about and follow um, as you're creating that social care plan for your clients uh, and for your brand. So first, Establish, you know, a team of professionals trained in some customer relationship management. That team might just be you if it's a very small place. So you need to make sure that you have some of that training and understanding um, and customer relationship and you continue working on that skill. Um, But also really do an audit and see if you have the tools that you need to actually address, right, the the information that they're going to need consistently, timely. So, you know, again, for example, with Women to Women, One of the tools I needed was to download um, both the Creator Studio, but also the Facebook Business Suite to my phone, which is how I accessed that question that came in so quickly. Um, Now, you know, Women to Women is a very small organization and brand, so it's fine that just me, you know, receives those notifications because it's like one every, I don't know, 
several weeks, maybe. Um, but the bigger the company you have, then you have to kind of think about, okay, if you have a large team, you know, it, are people assigned to specific platforms at specific times? Does everybody need access and have that admin privilege? Do you need to get something bigger like HubSpot or Sprout Social to help manage these? Um, just kind of think about the tools that might help you depending on your team size. Um, it's also important to create designated responsibilities and training protocols for customer service duties. Again, for everyone, if it's just you, you need to identify what you need to be doing and what's a priority, um, but also, you know, delegating and what can be given to, you know, different people. Um, but more importantly, making sure everybody has the protocols in place for the brand voice and the message. And we're going to talk a lot more about brand voice in our section um, in November. Um, or perhaps in October, I guess, on writing for um, like social media and getting more into that brand voice. But it's just important that you kind of have that template and guide um, of how to respond to different questions. So it feels like the brand and not just you answering. Um, this is kind of similar to the other ones, but assign specific tasks and how everyone will participate in the conversation online. Um, you know, again, maybe some people are more assigned to checking the DMs if, you know, you're getting lots and lots and lots of them and somebody else is responsible for checking the comments on the posts and, you know, interacting and answering questions. Um, just make sure you know how to split up that work because it can get to be, you know, a lot if you don't have a plan in place. And then last, establish key performance indicators, KPIs, to determine success or failure of the customer service. Right in social media, we're all about bright spots, growth areas, have ways to identify those bright spots, what worked really well, what protocols worked well, what seemed to resonate, and then make sure you can see your growth areas and identify and know, like, what about it left a bad experience and how is that impacting your client and your brand. Um, now, after measuring these various KPIs, um, which we'll talk a lot more about that in the evaluating um, section, but you want to draft a report to outline these metrics. So are you measuring, you know, the influence of the customer? Do you want to focus more on the response time? Is that what you care about? The like sentiment of the conversation, you know, is it more positive, negative, angry, sad, frustrated? Like what is the conversation? Are they sharing kind of your responses? Um, are those people you talk to, you know, turning into actual sales leads? Are you able to track that? Um, and just, you know, there's so many other metrics. Um, but those are some that you can kind of associate more with um, social care. So um, if you kind of do all that correctly, right, then you're going to hopefully get and generate a lot of really great new leads and people interested in your brand. Now, we do have some best practices to consider, um, and I do, you know, hope and want to see these aspects of best practices in your social media strategies, um, in your mini projects as they apply, um, especially though if you're focusing on a brand for your project um, or like a nonprofit for your project that really relies on, you know, customers taking action more than just awareness. Um, so some of the best practices to follow right? We do want to invest in those tools for monitoring, right? Responding to and listening to social media. Um, and we also want to make sure you have the tools to respond professionally and on brand, right? Like we just talked about, make sure that you have some templates and you understand, you know, the brand voice and you've created and taken that time to invest in a strong brand kit 
So that way, everybody on your team, like including you, can follow along and provide a cohesive, consistent, high-quality experience that aligns with your client. Um You also want to make sure to just be present and engaged on the same channels as your audience, obviously, right? This does mean having a presence on those platforms where your target audiences, you know, kind of reside, actually conversing with them, being in the comments, responding, making sure you're checking, you know, your private messages or your DMs um, and that you are engaged, Um, paying attention to if they're tagging, you know, your handle, making sure not too many of those just kind of get left behind, even if it's just a simple like. Um, have a plan in place. You know, what type of question needs, you know, a full response? What type of thing maybe is just a retweet or a like or some other kind of acknowledgement? Um, also, it's really good practice to have templates in place for responses and inquiries. Um, and you do want to try to have them be personalized. So yes, a lot of, you know, bots and automated messages exist now. Instagram, you know, for example, just rolled that out for their direct messages. And that can be super, super helpful, you know, for really straightforward things, right? Somebody asks, hey, when is your business open? Or, you know, are you open on this holiday? Or when does the sale end? Um And you could totally have a bot tell them that very like specific direct information. Um, That probably would be okay. They probably aren't going to have too much more context. But you do want to just be careful. You don't want to try to automate everything because while maybe it saves time at the moment, like we know, we we know, right, (laughs) when we're getting sort of a bot and, and, you know, if you ask sort of a two-part question and it only really answers one part and it's like, well, you know, you need that kind of human um, in many ways to just help make sure the full question, the full experience is accounted for. So have some templates to help it go faster, but then, you know, stay open and able to personalize the response to actually what that community member um, was tweeting or DMing you about. Um, and then you also want to make sure that you listen and understand the situation and context. You know, if the question, again, bots aren't able to do this, um, but as people too, we have to like, try to understand and bring some more empathy to like, especially if they're, you know, complaining about the company or something, you know, went wrong with their order um, or their experience, you know, with your brand. Um, Just try to really understand what that context is. And really connected to that is, you know, don't let your emotions sort of get the best of you. Um, And that's where a lot of brands reputations, you know, come into play when they can have employees go a little rogue or something comes off too like snarky and people are like, oh, like, why did they just do that? Um, And so if you try to listen and understand, you know, the whole context, the situation, um, and really think about, you know, being like professional, but also empathetic when you respond, then that can often, you know, help also uphold the brand's values, um, which are all really important things. Um, So just as, you know, really quick review, right, those big those best practices, it's going to be investing in the tools, the training, the templates that you need. It's going to be, you know, being present and engaged on those channels. Um, And then it's going to be really listening and understanding with some empathy um, to what the situation is to make sure that your brand's reputation is intact, even if you're like fuming um, at what was just said. All right. Now, because social care is heavily focused on helping people have a positive experience with the brand, a lot of the work, um, you know, for social media there 
um, overlaps with nonprofits. Um, and really kind of the nonprofit segment is building on the best practices we just talked about for social care um, with adding a few others. Um, and with the nonprofit, a key goal of most social media campaigns is actually raising awareness, right, to ultimately convert passive community members into donors. That's kind of a key thing we want people not to necessarily buy product, but to right, donate, invest in your mission. Um, so again, that connection between social media and sales exists, and we can use right the opportunity of social media to build meaningful interactions that get people to identify with your values and actually invest in your mission. Um, and so nonprofits often end up using social media for that community and engagement with a, a special lens on like education, right? Teaching people about the issue can go a long way with social media. Um, it's often used for just brand building, reputation management, program recruitment as well, both for like maybe volunteers, um, but also people in need of the service. Uh, and then again, fundraising, huge, huge place that we can get, get to. Um, one of the like challenges we've talked about the pay to play kind of shift in the industry and you know how organic reach is getting harder because our feeds just have a lot more boosted and paid content on it um and that's definitely impacted nonprofits a lot because nonprofits often don't have the resources to spend um and so you have to be a little bit more you know creative in how you're going to use whatever resources you do have you know you might only even have one channel of content um but you just have to try to kind of break through um which can definitely be tricky um and so as you're trying to plan more content for nonprofits you can you know kind of think about two questions you know what problems do people have in their own lives um, and how, you know, do those problems align or kind of speak to the values of your organization? And then you listen to and monitor what, what people are saying on social media, conduct some research, talk to people, talk to your audience. Um, and that can help you kind of generate content ideas that might help educate or have some reputation management, um, you know, have some fundraising sort of options as well. The second question is, you know, what tips or tools can you give people? kind of related to your area that might make their lives easier, right? Nonprofits are not only looked to for support and handling some challenges, right? People come to Women to Women because they need an immediate financial assistance because of a problem. Um, but, you know, they also look to nonprofits for just education, training, and community building, which is why in our Women to Women content pillar mix, we also have things about local events um, and sort of signifiers of, of sort of natural national history, you know, things and just items to try to help people maybe live um, well in this local area because we are a local nonprofit. Um, and so, you know, those kind of two questions of, you know, what problems people have and then, you know, how can you help them? What tips might you provide? Um, can certainly be applied within your social care templates as well um, and your guides to help you also predict, you know, the types of questions, problems, and values um, that, you know, your customers might come to you with or that you can sort of reflect back to ultimately increase, you know, the reputation of your brand, um, which, and, and build community too. It's like, yeah, the reputation, but also we want to work on, again, fostering that sense of community that aligns with kind of certain values. 
Now, there are four additional best practices for working in nonprofits to really keep in mind and think about, um, if, especially if you're planning a nonprofit campaign. Uh, the first one is really, you know, to similar, right? Have responsibilities, duties in place for the team. You know, nonprofits, you might be working with a, a board of volunteers. And so making sure everybody knows, you know, what that means and how they can contribute, you know, how to take photos, how to share them with you when you're going to be posting so they can maybe interact. Um, if you need actual help posting, kind of tapping into all of those aspects, you know, content creation and reporting are obviously some responsibilities that need to be in place. Um, you know, reporting it back to the board as well. And when we do spend some money, like making sure everybody in the board knows how it was spent. Um, but if you are able to, it can be helpful, you know, to have somebody who really is specialized in, you know, the fun right fundraising and grant writing help and inform maybe some of your social media content or campaigns really about fundraising efforts. The second um, best practice is, you know, to spend time to really focus and target your messages, channels, and audiences. Again, there's not that many resources to go around in the nonprofit space. And so it can be really important just to make sure you're, you're, consistent across the different kind of platforms, but also maximizing each one. Um, and so an example I just, you know, thought of as I was going through this was, you know, the race for the cure um, associated with breast cancer um, and breast cancer awareness, you know, that pink ribbon and just the pink color scheme is across all of their social media channels. It's super recognizable. Um, that idea of race for the cure also taps into this next strategy of allowing people to share their stories, right? And so their events um, and their social media strategy definitely allows people to tag themselves, you know, at a race or walk for the cure event. Um, so they're getting a lot of user generated content and awareness. Um, and then like on their Instagram, they specifically are sharing stories of people um, and survivors of breast cancer, those who are just diagnosed. Um, and it's so effective that now we kind of associate any sort of, you know, relay for life um, or walk for the cure, any of those with um, sort of cancer research and nonprofits. And so it's created a really cool like ecosystem of of nonprofit support and fundraising in a lot of ways um, that all fit within kind of a consistent sort of message and the variations of ribbon colors and um, how that all plays together. Um, and then the last best practice, um, especially this is really kind of specific to nonprofits in many ways, but you don't want to rely on on either email or social media. It needs to be balanced. So email is important um, just in the general marketing mix for nonprofits because that's how a lot of return donors um, find out about, you know, events, buy tickets to the gala or whatever. Um, it's going to be less from social media. So they have to really be paired together and you need to talk with whoever's in charge of your email campaigns and that side of kind of the project um, and marketing to make sure that it aligns with your social media campaign. So you're, you know, telling people about it. Maybe they sign up for your newsletter and everything is really consistent um, to help drive that action forward. Cool. So the next application that we're going to talk about is healthcare, which includes hospitals, clinics, insurance companies, pharmaceuticals, kind of anything in that health realm. Um, and the reason we're even really talking about this is because of the potential that social media really has 
um, to actually, you know, help patients, customers, community members come together, right? That power of community and relationships shines through. Um, but it's also, you know, patients are able more and more to interact with doctors and other patients and maybe virtual support groups um, or like a Q&A kind of stream with a doctor. Um, and and really just like share, right, their stories, their experiences in various health situations. Um, and so it's definitely something that's being tapped into more and more um, that could be used for extreme good, um, though also, you know, you can use social media for other ways as well. Um, but the health, health, excuse me, the healthcare sector is complex, obviously, and there's a lot more legal guidelines that have to be followed. Um, it's not just like a copyright type of situation like other you know, brands might have. Um, instead, in healthcare social media, we do have to think about federal policies like um, from the FDA as well as HIPAA. Um, and there are also a lot of state privacy laws that wherever you move, wherever you're operating in, you need to know and keep in mind. Um, and so like in Colorado, I've pulled up um, our kind of colorado.gov um, site under the Privacy Under Health Insurance and Portability and Accountability Act, that's HIPAA. Um, and so here you just have to keep in mind that it explicitly, you know, says that you have to limit the disclosure of information to the minimum necessary, um, which is basically like healthcare treatment um, and official purposes. Um, and you want to, you know, really um, think about and limit the disclosure of to the individual of like who, when, why, like don't give away too much information about that person's health. And if you are going to do it, the important thing it says is, you know, it has to be authorized in writing by the subject individual. So if you're going to be doing um, some kind of campaigns um, in the health sector, make sure that you know what the state policy is and that you have really, really good, you know, forms in writing, work with the legal team to make sure that you get that informed consent. Um, so that way you're not in violation because if you are, you uh, will face, well, not you personally, but your company certainly will face really steep fines for violating that. Um, now, healthcare intersects again with some best practices from social care, um, and that's partly because online reviews of hospitals and clinics are becoming way more prevalent. You know, these review sites allow health professionals um, to determine what people are saying about your facilities or clinics or doctors, you know, everything that they oversee. And so other people, right, are seeing, oh my gosh, this hospital I waited eight and a half hours and everybody was so rude and it was horrible, right? If they're seeing that online, your hospital's reputation is going down. Now, some places, you know, don't have a lot of choice for healthcare. I grew up in a very rural area and there was like one hospital. So it's kind of like, well, that's where you got to go. Um, but if you maybe are running, you know, maybe a dermatology clinic, there potentially could be other ones that people go to and that social media presence um, in those reviews could make or break, you know, a new client for you. Or if you're like a dentist or something, um, you know, there's obviously usually a lot of dental practices in town that people could go to instead. So it's really that reputation management is a key area of responsibility for social media professionals in healthcare, especially um, as those online reviews can either hinder or enhance the overall reputation and perception, you know, of your staff in the healthcare system.
Um, and so here are just like a few ways that social media sort of has been leveraged for that connection building and reputation management um, in some areas. So, you know, hospitals um, can do a lot of really good campaigns to raise money for different research areas, um, maybe that they need. For example, you know, St. Jude does a hashtag give thanks campaign. Um, that really is all about getting donations during the holidays for, you know, their children's uh, medicine and, and cancer research and stuff like that. So, you know, really big name hospitals can certainly draw on um, social media for that. You know, small clinics can use social media for education and resources. You know, right now, YouTube Shorts has so many like dentists or there's like Dr. Mike. Um, there's like cosmetology kind of people talking about like plastic surgery like there's just a lot that you know smaller or private clinics can use social media for to explain and educate people on their services while also being entertaining and building some community um insurance companies actually have been pretty creative in this space um for example humana um partnered with like this employee advocacy platform. Um, and basically they created brand ambassadors in an employee advocacy program to really focus on like promoting health information um, for people. And so they leveraged their kind of employees and their employees social media to help with like recruiting. Um, it helped bring up like the reputation of their brand. And it really is focused on like tips and tools for wellness, healthy lifestyles, that kind of stuff, um, which then, you know, in turn sort of helped Humana become a leader sort of in health. Um, and then the last way is, you know, big pharma. Obviously, there's a lot of money to be made there. And thinking about right how people are less on um, traditional, you know, watching TV, listening to the radio, um, where a lot of those pharmaceutical ads used to run, you know, now they need to get more eyes on them through social media accounts. Um, and so you can definitely think about that um, as a a space and a use as well. And so just to wrap up our conversation on healthcare, you do need to incorporate some best practices into your application. The biggest one is going to be investing in, you know, legal and public health education. Obviously, you need to know and be aware of what you can and cannot say on social media, you know, what is acceptable in the campaign, um, all of those privacy and health laws. Make sure you know it, you've reviewed it with the legal team, all everyone on your staff knows, and you've built it into your protocols. Also recognize that the listening and timing of protocol response is really, you know, kind of crucial. Again, it kind of goes back to, oh, you notice that somebody had a bad experience or they say something like, what are you going to do about it? And how, you know, quickly is that response? Um, and then last, you could do things like turn your employees into advocates. You know, Humana um, encouraged all their employees to share stories on social media, did a lot for their brand. Um, you could create things like training sessions or workshops, right, with your various healthcare staff. Um, that kind of speaks to that education. I mean, we can think about through COVID how impactful um, the social media use of healthcare professionals just sharing what their day is now like um, with, you know, full COVID wings and um, that kind of impact on the community, um, you know, cause a lot of, of virality and awareness on social media. Um, so those are all some important things to really think about when it comes to Healthcare. 
Um, and then the final topic for today is really just international campaign work, again, similar to social care. International campaigns are just, you know, something to keep in mind no matter who your brand or client is as they might, you know, seek to um, expand into other markets. All right, so keep in mind, right, with international campaigns, it's important because social media is a worldwide platform, right? And industry sites like HubSpot always provide global numbers and trends every year. And so, you know, in 2021, um, that HubSpot sort of global trend identified that uh, 4.2 billion people right in the whole the whole world that's like 53% of our global population report being active social media users right and so a social media campaign definitely you know can help your client your brand get into different markets and certainly can be really important um and that represents actually a 13% increase from last year so people are even more online um as you know some of our digital infrastructure continues to spread around the world um and so with that many people, obviously, online, um, it's, it's just really important to think about that international campaign strategy. And so some of the things they sort of the shifts they recognize in their recommendations is sort of a shift more towards the simple life. So I think, you know, what we all went through in 2020 and continue to go through, but especially 2020 with the pandemic, um, you know, allowed people to want to focus a little bit more and like the calm and feel part of a community and not so isolated and disconnected. Um, and so we definitely are seeing brands, you know, throughout this past year, focusing more on like the little things um, and some of their value, like a lot more value sharing. Um, and so, you know, that's a trend that might continue into, you know, the next couple of years uh, as we continue to come out of this global pandemic situation. Um, they also identified a shift towards in-feed intimacy. Um, and so again, just kind of helping people like reconnect with people they actually and brands and content they care about, you know, even more. Um, and so again, kind of a trend of 2021 that we would expect for at least a couple of years um, is brands humanizing the customer experience, right, a lot more. Um, so we see the brand voice being far less corporate and far more sort of human and, and that idea of um, intimacy. Um, my research in podcasts definitely feeds into that a lot with, you know, podcasts are incredibly popular and growing every single year in popularity. And it is kind of this intimate experience where it's you, you know, just listening to this other person or this group of people have a conversation. Um, and there's like it's just a phenomenon of it feels like you're in on the conversation with them. Um, and social media definitely has some of that power, um, especially as we talk talk more about um, and think about some of those trends we've discussed before of like virtual reality and augmented reality and just ways to really bring your audience like in um, and show them kind of a more human personalized experience are things to keep in mind. Um, and then they also kind of identified sort of, again, sort of across the globe. Obviously, things are different within specific cultures, which we'll talk about in just a sec. Um, but you know, 
the idea of of cross-channel experiences, right? Because so many people are on social media um, and, you know, as we saw, like, return and remember that Pew Research, um, you know, study that had said, okay, like, seven out of 10 people um, are on social media um, and on a lot of different social media channels and sites, like, you know, the top popular ones are all just bananas popular. Um, and so you can definitely leverage some of that cross-channel experience um, and actually use it more as a bridge sort of between your different content areas and pillars to create a more robust thing. So maybe it's, you know, you start a campaign that's on Instagram, maybe giving like a teaser, or we talked in class a little bit about, you know, like a teaser of a new song or a trailer. And so maybe that starts on Instagram, and then encourages and gets people to go over to the YouTube um, channel where, you know, you premiere the whole entire song, or maybe the teaser was on TikTok, and it brought people to YouTube. And then, you know, on Instagram, the artist goes live to, you know, talk about what it was like writing that song. So really think about like those cross channel experiences. Um, as you kind of go along. And so with that global kind of data in mind, um, and the global numbers are important in that, um, you know, data-driven science approach. Um, but then the art also comes in with understanding the culture that you are trying to market to and where your campaign is going to play and air and who you're talking to. And so, again, mirroring that that creativity and that understanding and adaptability, the art kind of to different scenarios while also recognizing some of the data that we do have. Um, and so if you are planning an international campaign, there are five best practices to definitely keep in mind. Um, the first is, of course, learn the culture, the people, the food, the history, like learn about the place, the new market that you're trying to enter. You know, like being a student of social media and a student in general, like spoilers when you graduate you don't stop learning things right you, you got to continue kind of the habits you formed while in college to learn and retain and process information into like whatever career you go through because you need to you know keep up to date with like what's going on and learning more stuff um and so in international campaigns especially it's important to like take that time to understand appreciate you know embrace and really learn about with real genuineness and open-mindedness the culture of the country that you are designing social media for um, you have to be aware of what obviously makes that country unique um, and how that can be showcased um, and used to build connection on social media and so just make sure you conduct that research, um, that you understand what media outlets they are using, what platforms are using, who their kind of big influencers, players, brands, competitors are, because um, those competitors and people, you know, are going to be different in different markets. You know, um, it's not, they don't have all the same, you know, celebrities and big brands that we do, like they have their own versions of them. Um, and so just, Follow all of those people and try to get a feel for what social media looks like in that area. Second, you need to choose platforms appropriate for the, the audience and goals in mind. Like that is always a best practice, no matter what social media campaign you're planning. But especially with the global marketplace, again, they have different platforms that are used and they are popular. And so you're going to have to figure out what those platforms are and how they use the platforms maybe differently than we might use a platform here in the U.S. or it could be a completely new, totally different platform um, like WeChat um, in 
China and a lot of um, kind of Asian countries and, and market spaces. So pay attention to what the platforms are and how they are different or how they're used differently. Third, open your eyes again to new platforms outside of your countries. This is super similar. It's kind of like a sub best practice, right? So yeah, you need to choose what's appropriate, but again, really know like, is this a brand new platform? What is used? What isn't used? What are the best practices? Um, and you can kind of use places like Hootsuite, um, that 2021 report um, that's available in Canvas. You can actually jump to like different countries and markets um, and it will give you just like more information um, and various reports about, you know, the digital campaigns, you know, in Canada, in Japan, uh, in Palestine, in, you know, Portugal, like there's a whole bunch of different ones. So do you take a little bit of time to explore how things could be different? Um, and what platforms they use there. Fourth, um, you need to understand the importance of culture and those characteristics and expectations, right? So for us as social media professionals, um, yeah, there's some universal practices that are going to be, you know, consistent. Um, you know, we have those, some of those universal like emotions, um, certainly can come into play. Um, some basic kind of infrastructure, things like, you know, tagging and hashtags are pretty universal across platforms, but also across cultures. Um, but then you also need to know, you know, the more unique characteristics. Um, and so going into that new country and online community um, with, you know, an assumption that it's like, what we do is going to work perfect there is kind of a recipe for it not meeting the key performance indicators you set out. So do that research on their media, their culture, and their expectations, um, as well as any research on like age cohorts as well. And then last, understand um, the different privacy and legal issues and just political climates of the different areas. For example, the EU has much stricter um, policies and laws around um, privacy and social media data usage and sharing than the U.S. And so just be very aware of, again, what what is the policy? What is the custom? What is the direction? Now you want to pay a little bit of attention to the international politics as well, because you know, that could give you a hint of like where your campaign might see a roadblock in the future. All right. So today, I mean, we talked about uh, social care, nonprofits, healthcare, and international campaigns. Um, and hopefully you've recognized, yes, a big through line um, through almost all the best practices, both from this week and last episode, you know, revolve around building relationships, having connections, monitoring, listening, being responsive, having a plan in place. Um, all of those certainly run through just a good social media strategy in general. Um, but then each of the, you know, kind of specific applications have a few, you know, best practices that really apply to that space. Um, and so, you know, keep those in mind. Um, think about what you're going to do for your project. Um, and definitely come with questions. Um, and just be prepared to talk about some more campaigns in class. Yay! Yay! <laughs> 
All right, before we wrap up, it is definition and key term time. We have two um, from this unit uh, specifically to keep in mind. The first is crowdfunding, which is raising money through small-ish donations from a large community pool. Um, and so, you know, anything happening on Patreon, Kickstarter, GoFundMe, any of those uh, social media sites, are going to represent crowdfunding. And so like an example in my life, I encourage you to think of an example. You've seen crowdfunding in your life, but one for me, um, I love The Sims 4. And so on Patreon, I actually do support a modder for that um, video game. Uh, Kawhi Stacy makes really like such fantastic mods, absolutely changes like the gameplay without being like too much. I don't know. Love it. Um, but I found out about their mods from YouTube content and actually not even content that Kwai Stacy shared. It was like a user generated, right? It was a different YouTube kind of influencer who downloaded these mods, played them, and then created content about, you know, these mods that they were playing. Um, so that's where I first found out about it. Then went over to Patreon, you know, looked through all Kwai Stacy's like community, what they set up, how they explain, you know, what's going on. Um, and then I gave them a couple, I give them a couple dollars every month as a patron. And then they, you know, continue to just make really cool stuff for The Sims 4. Um, so that is crowdfunding. Again, you're raising small, usually small donations, but from a really large community pool. So you end up getting quite a bit of money. Um, the Second one is crowdsourcing. Now, crowdsourcing is using a large community pool to generate ideas and address issues or problems. All right, so crowdfunding is about raising money. Crowdsourcing really is about raising ideas. Um, and it can be, you know, amazing, right? The power of the crowd can really generate some great ideas and knowledge, but also it can go super wrong. So with that, you definitely, you know, might want to avoid any kind of guaranteed outcomes simply by internet vote, because um, that's how you just get things like named super weird. Um, and, you know, just trolls sometimes can thrive on crowdsourcing. So you just have to be aware of that. Um, and so instead, you know, maybe use crowdsourcing to generate a bunch of ideas and then have an internal selection process for like the winner. So it's kind of like how Lay's, um, when they do their like new potato chip flavor, uses crowdsourcing, right? They ask the large community pool to submit ideas but they don't just say like ah yes the 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 number one just voted on wins no instead they pick then a top three from all the pool so they pick three that they feel like they could actually create and are comfortable putting out as a real chip flavor and then they let the community vote on that pre-selected top three so crowdfunding about money crowdsourcing about generating ideas Hooray. And just to leave you with that big picture, today's episode was all about, you know, how social media is practiced and applied differently across industries, yet the goal remains to facilitate engagement and build relationships between the brand and the audience. Community-centered applications of social care, nonprofits, healthcare, and international campaigns require practices for both customer service and research into the context, laws, and expectations of your community.
Now, there are some additional learning materials on Canvas that I want you to explore and engage with. Um, first, you're going to see some public health campaigns from the CDC. I want you to go through those and think about and see if you can identify how the best practices may be played out. Um, and then there's some just tips and materials about expanding a brand into international markets to review. I have an article with just examples and inspiration of different brands using the Olympics in their campaign. So you can see, you know, how um, they are similar or different. I also put that data report of the 2021 global trends. I want you to save that um, to help inform your future, you know, mini projects and campaign strategies. Uh, and then last, there's some videos to watch. Um, they're not too long on customer service and social media um, and how kind of those sort of interplay together, as well as like some cultural um, stuff. And so one is only 12 minutes and the other is 12 minutes. So just short videos for you to watch. Uh, read and watch those materials while you think about all the best practices and concepts we talked about today. Um, again, those learning materials are there for you to engage more with the work in the field and see the concepts play out. Um, as professionals, Right, post graduation, like we have to teach ourselves and continue to learn about our industry, no matter what career you're in. Um, and so, you kind of practice that skill of like going through examples and extra materials and short articles, and you know, picking out how it applies to your work, your project, and then of course, come with questions. Um, and then last, you can enter the practice portal to check your knowledge of what we covered in this episode. I will see you soon.